Welcome back to another episode of the Grunge Bible Podcast, episode number 89 coming to you. My name is Chris Salona, and I am joined with by Ethan Shalloway. Ethan, happy December. This is the uh this is the first episode of the final month of the year. So how's how's wow. that hitting? Wow, that is pretty incredible. That means yeah, I mean that's we're right now we're we're behind. We're a few weeks behind, so that means I would have already had my my Thanksgiving break. I'm probably a lot more recharged than I am as we sit here to record this. Absolutely. I feel like I need I feel like I need a, you know, Thanksgiving meal and some football uh back home at the homestead. So, um wow, December's already here. The year's already, you know, 2023 is right there. So that is wild. But I'm doing well, Chris. Uh how are you doing? Yeah, I'm I'm doing all right. Uh, we are uh, we're coming to everybody from the past, uh, from the middle of November, uh, trying to get ahead uh, because that is the responsible thing to do. So uh, couldn't agree more. Uh, you know, by the time this episode uh, uh, arrives and everybody's inboxes will be in between the holidays and things will be getting busier in their own right. But you know, we're cruising along, doing the things that we need to do, and hopefully uh, we're gonna grab some rest along the way. But um, yeah, lately. We've been we've been doing a lot of a lot of interviews, a lot of work uh, with this show, uh, trying to get different voices in here and talk to people that have interesting stories that have different things to contribute. And uh, this episode is uh, the perfect example of that. And I think, Ethan, when we started this podcast, you know, almost two years ago and we thought about we want the fact that we want to interview people, we want to talk to artists, we want to talk to singer songwriters. Um, this interview that we have today is is one that we had had in mind from the beginning, and I'm really happy that uh, you know we're able to present it today. And that is none other than Julie Lydell, the uh, creator of the June Swoon Project. And uh, Julie's music uh, from the June Swoon Project has been something that's been very important to me for a long time. So this is a really really cool opportunity that we've had to be able to sit down and have a conversation. I would agree. I think in the beginning, we talked about how we wanted this podcast to go. And ultimately, we wanted to, you know, have artists on here and actually have a platform that uh, people were would listen and be attentive. And um, yeah, Julie was on our mind right from the beginning, I think, because she's an artist that people don't know, but that, sh- that should know. I mean, she is extremely talented, uh, well thought out and creative in everything she does and you know, more people should know about her. And we get into that a lot during the uh, the interview and we talk about it. And you'll be able to tell right away um, just from a few, you know, a few thoughts from her that she's exactly that. She's very intentional and, and, and just an awesome person. So it was it was a joy to have it all come together. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and it was really cool just kind of getting the rundown. So Julie right now is uh, Los Angeles-based, and uh, we got to know her. We got in contact with her pre-COVID almost, uh, you know, uh, under the June Swoon project that I think was born late 2018, early 2019. Uh, there was one album that came out in 2019 called uh, This Town Could Be Big Enough for the Both of Us. And then um, just a few days ago at the time this podcast comes out, the uh, the first single from the upcoming project, a house with windows open has been released. So the single is called water baby. Uh, and it was really cool, you know, to be able to get a listen and to be able to talk to her about just the process that goes behind, you know, making some of our favorite music. And, you know, I always say, and I, something that I always do, like if I have an opportunity, uh, you know, with friends or peers to share one artist that I've gotten to, uh, acquaint myself with their creation, um, 
It's Julie. It's June Spoon. Um, that's the one artist that I've I've showed dozens and dozens of my friends uh, her music, and you know, really, really lucky that you know we're gonna get a lot more of it very soon. Um, so it was a really, really exciting, um, exciting hour, hour and a half that we spent with her, just you know, going over the process and you know what what the origin story is for mm-hmm. all of this great art that we get to enjoy. Yeah, and we did get a sneak pre uh, sneak peek at the new album, and we can confirm that it is an amazing uh, yeah. follow up to the, her debut album. So it just fits right in. You see the maturity, you see the growth, and but it also is similar, and you see all the the parallels. So um, Bravo! It's it's one that we can't wait to um, you know be released in the next year. So it is it is pretty sweet. Yeah, hundred percent. I I totally agree. So really. Once again, grateful that we had the opportunity to uh, sit down with her and share this conversation with all of you. And uh, that opportunity is only ours because of the generosity and support that we receive uh, on a continual basis from everybody out there who checks out the show. Uh, Most importantly, or most notably, rather, the people that choose to support us financially because this does cost money. Uh, So at this time, I would like to uh, give a shout out to our top level supporters on Patreon uh, who keep this this whole thing going uh, almost into 2023. So at this time, I would like to thank Alex Long, Alexis Shannon, Black Hole Sean, The Blue Owl, Brother Nature, Captain Hightop, Kara Kay, Doug Endy, Eddie Vedder got me through my second divorce, Faith Bittner, Fresh Tenonitis, Fuck Soup, Granny Grunge, Jade Mercado, Jamie Lynn, Carlene Salona, Chris LSMS, our number one fan from Australia, Laura Nyrene, Marianne, Millie, Nikki Six, Rachel Corning, Seattle Four fanboy from New Jersey, Shoe the Shoeless, and What the Fuck's Up Denny. So uh, to those top level supporters, thank you. And to everybody, every step along the way, thank you so much for your support. Um, selfishly, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a personal um, joy to be able to have conversations with you know, people whose work I admire. And this is, uh, you know, this is one of those times. So I'm really excited to present uh, Grunge Bible's conversation with Julie Lydell, June Swoon. And we are here with Julie Lydell of the June Swoon Project. Julie, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, Chris. How are you doing? That's great. I am I'm doing well. It's great to finally be here, at least in front of a screen together. I know we've, you know, we've communicated and Ethan and I have been fans of your music for, you know, for several years now. So it's really, really great to connect and be able to have a conversation. And I love Grunge Bible. I've been following Grunge Bible forever. So I'm stoked to be here. Oh yeah. That's amazing. I love that. It's good. I actually do want to clarify. I want to. I want to get to the bottom of exactly of how we met because I know. So my my singer in my band is named Sam Culp, and he did an album review where he put like his top ten albums, and this is 2019, um, the end of that. And your album was on there, and I started listening through. Just I think it was just like a a, um, a story, and I think I asked him, and I I kind of asked him who who you were. And I believe you guys went to school in Nashville together and you guys were connected a lot. I thought it was just a band, an artist that he found, but you guys are actually connected a little bit more than that, right? Yeah. So my little brother lived in Nashville 
Um, and he moved to LA with like a group of people and they knew Sam. So we kind of met through like mutual friends who all worked on music together. Awesome. That's cool. Yeah. Was that, was like, was and his wife of, got married. I know. I know. Literally this past week, uh, I think it was last like Wednesday or something. It's yeah. amazing. Yeah. They um, are so awesome. They've been like heard, I think from like my very first single, which was had definitely had more of like a pop punk, like garage vibe. Like they were like, keep doing this. You know, they were, they've always been like really big advocates and like cheerleaders for me. Yeah. That's awesome. That doesn't surprise me. So when, um, when, when does the whole music story start with you? It sounds like you, you grew up and music has kind of always been a part of your life. So what was that, you know, the introduction, like, I guess, like some of your influences growing up, or I guess what was for you, what was the hook, uh, that, you know, I mean, I think we're all here for, you know, for music because we're either fans of making it obviously, or listening to it or, you know, getting something from it. So for you, like, what was that origin story like for you? I love, I love hearing what everybody has to say to that. Yeah. Uh, well, I come from a very musical family, um, and I also come from a family that that likes music and likes movies a lot. And I also grew up evangelical, so all those things are kind of like uh, my social calendar, should we say, was full of like religious events. Like I, I, I rarely had friends that weren't part of um, the evangelical community, and. Like I wasn't allowed to go to parties where boys were until I was like 18. Like it was, yeah. I was super duper sheltered. Yeah, Couldn't really go to concerts outside of the church, but there was for some reason really no limit on uh, what music or what movies I was allowed to listen to. And um, I remember like my dad loved like Coen brothers. Okay. Yeah. Coen brothers movies with my dad listening to those scores and then my mom really loved like Cary Grant and um you know like musicals from like the 50s mm. and so and I was also my my grandmother is a classical piano player and she was married to a piano seller and mover so they picked out a piano for me when I was like four so I was playing piano I was singing I was getting CDs from the library and nobody ever checked what I was listening to <laughs> uh <laughs> Um, and I did some like musical theater as well. I was just like a theatrical kid, but, um, I remember being, you know, primarily a piano player and my favorite radio station in Sacramento is called Bono 6.5 quad. And it was all like, uh, like grunge alternative, uh, you know, like three days grace and, just like all this like 90s like super grungy music and i played piano you know right i was playing like little show tunes on the piano and i was like how do i muscle my way into this into into rock music you know there's no piano in what you were listening to you're like i want want to sound like that my piano teacher would assign me you know i told her the music i was listening to and she'd assign me stuff and i'd I'd wail on the the keys (laughs) i was really uh you know, two people that really inspired me were uh, Ben Folds and Andrew McMahon. Like, from okay, yeah, Corporate. absolutely. Especially, I loved something corporate and Jack's Mannequin. I was like a super fan, but yep. uh, he'd take that tiny piano on stage and be standing and just like totally, you know, just go into town on it. And I was like, I can, I can 
You can rock with a piano. Absolutely. Piano player. Um, But yeah, I would kind of like, I remember swimming in my friend's pool, listening to, listening to the radio, trying to record things to tape when they would come on. And, um, you know, I'm a nineties kid. I had LimeWire. Oh yeah. Uh, And I also had this software. This is pretty bad, but I had the software called iRip and you could plug in somebody's iPod and just download the contents of the iPod. If I knew about this when I was 12, man, that would have been a game changer. It was a game changer. I got so much music. Like I think, I remember like first hearing Johnny Cash because it was on my friend Brandon's iPod. Mm-hmm. I remember I could probably go on a Radiohead was like on my other my friend JL's iPod. And like I really got this music education from just being curious. And I received a lot of mixed CDs as well. Yeah. Um yep. and that I'm sure you guys did too. I remember um one time I slept at a friend's house and I left my you guys know those alarm clock CD players. Oh yeah, absolutely. I had an alarm clock CD player and I had a uh, mix CD for my friend that I had left in there and you could program it to wake you up to a certain track, pick like track nine or something. um, I was not there. I was sleeping at a friend's house and um, I guess really loud. My CD player blasted at like 8 a.m. the cover of Darling Nikki by the Foo Fighters. That's awesome. (laughs) Which That's is, so good. That that reminds me of. I was like thirteen. <laughs> I yeah. was in a lot of trouble for having that song. That's so fun. That reminds me of back. Yeah, back when like ringtones and that stuff on the phone were really like you could buy a ringtone for like a dollar. You know, get Nickelback's. You know, photographs. It was such a statement everything. that you had the opportunity to make too. It is just and like a very specific. Why don't era. we have it anymore? I, I don't know. know. I don't want my phone to vibrate. I want it to it rock. Got, yeah, and it got to the point where you could you could get whatever song you wanted, and and so I was the same way. Like me and Sam were neighbors, and and we would trade. I got a lot of music from him because same, similarly, like I wasn't I wasn't sheltered, but he had a, he would recommend stuff all the time. Like I learned something corporate from them and, and from him, and and yeah, Jax Manigan and all that. But uh, we we played uh, Coheed and Cambria, and we would play Welcome Home, and for some reason, like. Those oh, yeah. those dueling guitar solos like my favorite. So for like my whole junior year, like I woke up at like six thirty in the morning to just like like these guys ripping the guitar and like and now they think about it's such a like kind of like a psychopathic move to get to wake up to this Coheed and Cambria and I love it. It's way more psychopathic to wake up to like meditation chimes. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, I would agree. Get out of bed. You need something that's exciting. Yeah, gotta get the blood pumping a little bit. Do you remember like? any ringtones that you had any songs you had as ringtones i'm trying to think i remember there was there was one point the only one that i specifically remember purchasing this had to have been 09 or 2010 so i'm 26 so i would have been you know early teens i guess then i purchased uh this afternoon by nickelback i was a huge nickelback fan and that was my it's like it's a very like it's not even like a rocker of a song i think it starts like acoustic like a little acoustic guitar action Wait, but how that does was that song go um, I like the lyrics, like it's, it's all about just like hanging out with your friends and like getting high. It's like, get up, go out, me and all my friends, like drink up, we'll fall down and do it all again. I still remember it. Cause I used to listen to it all the time, but that was the <laughs> only one that I remember purchasing. Mm. So the stone has rolled away and here we are. <laughs> and on the, you know, <laughs> mine on the was flip- uh, all through high school. Mine was Icky Thump 
by the way. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Well, at least yours was cool. I mean, mine, yours aged very well. Mine did not. <laughs> I feel like I had white stripes waking me up for something too. But yeah. Um, on the flip side of that, I would always go to bed and I had an you know an alarm clock that you could put to play the radio and it would cut off after an hour. You know, you have it like set. So I'd always listen to our local radio station, and like it was right, it was 2008, like right when uh, Dark Horse album by Nickelback came yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they mm-hmm. were really pushing Dark Horse the song, and I remember like it felt like I listened to that. Like in that hour, I would get Nickelback like once, and for some reason, I always remember <laughs> over like and over I'd fall again. yeah I'd fall asleep to Nickelback and wake up to Coheed like all the time in high school, <laughs> which is yeah. funny. That vocal affect just felt so good. That like. Only a hero can save. <laughs> like it was so. I loved. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but I loved that song Kid Rock and Cheryl Crow did. Oh, picture, picture. Oh Absolutely. my god. Absolutely. I used. I was like twelve, and I was like, I can't wait to fall in love like Cheryl Crow and Kid Rock. Yeah, I, I can't wait to have several entangling romances and and you know have them all be intertwined. It's crazy. Can't wait to cry in church and cry mm-hmm. in my beer. Absolutely. But it it is so cool because I think like the commonality we have, like we grew up in the internet age and all of our friends and ourselves, you know, we were plugged in when we were young and, um, and I'm sure this goes for all generations, but I really feel that like growing up music was such a integral part to just our socialization and kind of like finding like our niche and like our friend groups and kind of, you know, what our tastes were artistically, especially. And for you kind of speaking to the fact that, you know, music and film and and television like uh, those are some of your only avenues for that so it makes sense why you know if if it's a very structured and regimented lifestyle that you grew up in and then all of a sudden you have this you know just implosion of creativity that you're not normally subjected to i can i can see why that had such a draw for you well and it was i mean the the church um what's it called the thing church genre it's not called a genre it's uh, non-denominational. Okay. And there's a lot of money in these churches and yes. they have a lot of really nice sound equipment. So I started playing and performing um, in like worship bands when I was like, I think 11. Mm-hmm. And then we had, my brother and I would play, he'd play drums and I'd play keyboard and we had like in-ear systems and like talk back mics. And so oh, wow. we did have, I was, I was in the same boat. I played in the worship team for a bunch, like youth group Sundays and like even kids services. And then we had in-ears and yeah, I mean, it was like, it was nice. And then I went to the barn and played, you know, played a tray with Drew and Sam, but, but yeah, there was some nice exactly. equipment there and we had, you know, we, yeah, I know, I know you're saying. It was quite creative. I mean, we could write original yeah. songs or like cover songs. We, we got kind of like a long leash with that. So that's probably part of the reason I'm still doing music to this day. So I am grateful, you know, for all the things that come with being ex-evangelical. Um, I am grateful to have to have had so much access to music equipment and playing with other people. Yeah, and I think I, I still have playing. like, because my, my dad, my dad's a pastor and back home. And, and so oh, I, I, I grew up in the church as well. And I have like, I know that we we borrowed some of their old basses or bass amps, and we I like borrowed we borrowed equipment and stuff, and I definitely still have some <laughs> of that equipment at the house. Like I have a few amps, a few PV bass amps and stuff that they didn't notice yeah. were gone. Like I still have them. That's awesome. Fine. Yeah, it is such a cool kind of hub to start getting together and being in bands. You know, if you're if you're not good enough to be in like a school of rock situation well, and we, we talked you know we talk about like you know grunge and 90s rock and then there's like you know creed and nickelback and that type of sound and like during that time like the christian hard rock scene was like really Dude. big 
It was really big. Crazy. And there was a ton of people that were like, they're kind of towing the line of being Christian, but also like really pushing the metal stuff. And like, like oh, our yeah. youth, our youth pastor would love to, like we played like, he would play like Lincoln Park in the end, like at youth group and stuff. And you're like, <laughs> this is weird, like crossing. And it was so big during that time where like it was, Dude, that it was edgy so- Christian. Yeah. Oh my god! What's, it this, was like, what's the brand of shirt that they would all wear? Like, uh, well, they all had like UFC. All the youth pastors had UFC shirts, and the, I don't know. It's so <laughs> many stereotypes of. Uh, um, what was the one? The shirt that I took. Like right V-neck? On, Are you talking about V neck? <laughs> not V neck. No, it was. Um, <laughs> youth pastor had a deep V neck. Oh, and a lot of V. Yeah, it's V necks or UFC shirts. For sure. <laughs> I'm trying. There were bands that were not Christian, but they knew that if they, I mean, it's actually really fascinating. Like the culture wars of the nineties are like, it was at some level, at some point it was a reaction to the AIDS crisis, all the focus on abstinence, only education and like funding for public arts uh, and how the religious right kind of merged with this conservative, um, block of like political power all that stuff sort of culminated and had this trickle down effect of like purity culture or like big christian rock music these huge christian conferences Mm -hmm. you know like absolutely it was really like a cultural it was like a zeitgeist it was wild yeah it was really so i was raised very very catholic i went to catholic school my whole life and i you know i remember like those conferences and those those seminars and those discussions you would have which i mean when you're 10 12 you don't think twice about it but once you get older it's like wow like there's you know there were a lot of very punitive uh themes and messages that were kind of you know that we're sharing with our with with kids and like it's a tough it's a tough start i feel like a lot of times I saw a tweet recently that was like, um, like Jewish music is like, they tried to kill us and they failed. We're going to enjoy life and like eat and drink together. And then Christian music is like, I can't wait to die. (laughs) (laughs) That is, uh, that's cool. Yeah, it really is. It's, it's strange. And I feel like, you know, you grow up in that and if you have a you know a negative experience with it, it takes a while to kind of reconcile with it and just kind of see where you know where to put it in its place but yeah it is it is really interesting just hearing you know different people's stories from the different situations that they've that they grew, grew up in you know yeah i always liked catholicism i mean i don't like it but compared to evangelicalism <laughs> right where people were trying to levitate you know, it was mm-hmm. my, the communities I grew up in had some weird, uh, you know, I don't know. You think God can make limbs grow back and stuff. And it was like, you know, it was kind of like a rave, you know, going to church, people, mm-hmm. you know, the dim lights, they have loud music. People are acting like they're on drugs. So the, the, the knowing what to expect at mass seemed, I mean, you get another bundle of like, hey, yeah. Not. Yeah, but it's it's very it's almost like flatlining with a Catholic mass, you know, you're just kind of like you're standing there you're just reciting everything, like droning on and on, but yeah, there's I definitely quite the difference. The mask of Zorro as a young woman and mm-hmm. so I think like confession booths are like really hot. Oh, okay. Yeah, they were not I remember getting accosted by a priest when I was 6 because I missed mass because I was sick. Um, so not not quite as hot for me. <laughs> no, no Antonio Banderas. No, priest. no, there was there was none of that. <laughs> now Fleabag, you know, there's like yeah. the hot priest thing from Fleabag as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But in <laughs> so practice, funny. I know it wasn't really like that. If somebody yeah. told me they thought youth pastors with deep V-necks and frosted tips were hot, I'd be like, 
have I got news for you? Yeah, it's like newsflash here, buddy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely different. So, so it seems like through through like the faith that you were brought up in, it there was a lot of you know you're around music all the time. You start playing instruments, you start performing, you start um, you start writing. Then, or, or what did that look like? Yeah, I was I was trying to write songs, and I was writing songs. Mm-hmm. I guess that I would perform. There was also. Um, this community where you would sort of just sign up for a two hour set and then just play oh, and cool. do like word association and sing and stuff. So I was doing that at a really young age, but I formally left the church when I was 16 and then um, started a band with my brother and we started playing around town in Sacramento, which was funny because we weren't old enough you know, to be in bars. So right, exactly. Yeah, you're, you're shy at that point. It's called Maryland's on K. They had us sit with the door guy the whole time. We weren't on stage. We had to sit in our little chairs. <laughs> like your chaperone. And, yeah, and I wasn't really allowed to go to concerts, but we could go to anything we were playing. Right. Oh, okay. So, Makes sense. You know, they were super supportive. So 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 supportive. Um, have always been. Of they just didn't want us falling in with the wrong crowd or being. In, in a place with a bunch of weirdos, but they were excited for us to be on stage. So we would go be playing. My brother was like 14 when I was 16. Mm-hmm. So we were going around. We were playing we rock music. There's like a big math rock scene in Sacramento. So mm. we were aspiring to to be like maps analysis um, at the time. And then I played in a, a rash of other bands after that, but I've always definitely been interested in in songwriting and honestly interested in making you know what makes a perfect record what makes Mm -hmm. a perfect song absolutely so So there were a lot of influences kind of behind that process that began i think in 2018 for the first record um so uh did that kind of start um from that like hey like i've played in bands for a long time but i kind of want to you know do my own thing and have agency over this whole project or um was that kind of the motivation going into it Yes, definitely. I uh, I remember the first sort of seeds for June Spoon were, uh, I went and I lived in Austin when I was 19 and 20. And um, again, just from people recommending music to me, I found uh, the band Timber Timber. I don't know if you guys are familiar. I I'm love not. Timber. Some homework to do um, after this. Very spooky Western music. Um, very spooky. And it really struck a chord with me and i was really influenced by that those drives through like arizona new mexico to austin because i would still come back to visit family so i spent a few years just really just on like these stretches of desert highway um and really interested growing up listening to like pop punk and punk and post-punk i guess i just listing off genres of punk but really male dominated um music for the most part right but but really empathizing with the emotion and like sometimes sad emotion that's in that music um i started listening to like well i was always i guess listening to like big band music from like the 60s -hmm. and um i was just really interested in this like classic american songstress um and then also just this also very sort of American um, rock music, like a Bruce Springsteen vibe, I guess, uh, that's maybe historically been like more macho. Um, 
and also just really grounding all of those influences in just the southwestern u.s like the the desert the places i was spending time in but um yeah i would like play in bands and i had ideas i remember writing one of the songs that's on my next record coming out i wrote the first version of it when i was in austin when i was 20 on my roommate's telecaster and i was like really wanted to make this like dark western rock music and um honestly just it was it just had to percolate for like 10 more years so i moved back to california and i um was in a couple other bands and then took it took a break to go to university and i was like all right i'm gonna be noam chomsky maybe i'm maybe i'm done making music and uh just couldn't stop singing and writing songs sorry my dog's walking around um I'll never have to apologize for that <laughs> yeah i just i just couldn't i just just couldn't stop thinking about it and dreaming about it and i ended up moving to the appalachian mountains in 2017 um and i was applying for like jobs in linguistics and uh it was snowing and it was cold and it was lonely and I ended up watching these like spaghetti westerns. And that's when really like this project I'd been thinking about for like 10 years just started like locking into place. And I, I demoed out the record and I just felt a really strong sense of, of purpose and had some friends in LA that were like, you got to be out here. You can crash on my couch for a few weeks. So you figure it out. And so that's how, that's how it happened. That's a roundabout way of telling you how it happened. But June Spoon is my my first project that's just mine you know i've i love being in bands with other people too but i it was it's been really creatively satisfying to um hit the exact collection of notes that i'm trying to that i'm trying to hit absolutely it's really cool sitting here just listening to you explain kind of what the uh genesis of your sound that you go for is because Ethan and I were talking before we came on here and you know we described like your music feels like um it was written in this like post-apocalyptic ghost town and you found it like a hundred years from now like it's it's so cool um the and it album. makes perfect sense with um you know like you said like what your influences were and it definitely has that kind of like western vibe you know um this town as well as the you know the new record that'll be coming out but um it's just such a cool example I think of like drawing from influences and packaging them in such a way that's so unique um and it sounded so different so i remember ethan shared with me uh this town sometime in early 2020 he held out on me for a little bit because he knew about it and he didn't tell me and i'm i'm still getting over that but yeah i remember hearing it and um at the time i was uh, i was going through a not so fun breakup and i remember listening to that whole thing just like repeat 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 and it was just like it's like exactly what I needed at the time. So thank you for that. But really just um, really, really impressive, you know, and it, it's like a one-to-one like it makes perfect sense, like what you were influenced by. And, and I think what ended up coming out of you at the end of that process, really, really cool. Thank you. I mean, I was, I feel like that album was me coming to terms with like all the breakups I've ever mm-hmm. had. It was such a, intense writing process and production process and i remember having the masters and listening to the masters and i love one of the things i love about i mean i'm sure many artists feel that this way about their medium but for me it's 
music and records is you sometimes you're you don't know how you feel about something and then you make it and then you look at it and you're like oh that's a that's a big so feeling that's, right so that's yeah. how i feel <laughs> <laughs> that's how i feel and um it taught me a lot i actually um made my first appointment with a therapist ever after finishing that record. <laughs> <laughs> it was a heavy process. I was like, I think I need to talk about some things, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't aware of that before making it. I thought I was fine. You know, yeah. no yeah. news. Is so that good. process in any way, is, is it cathartic at all? Because I was going to ask the same it depends, it depends on the artist. I, I like, I remember one of, one of my favorite musicians, Mark Lanigan, he wrote a memoir about his life and his editor was like, man, you have to write this book. It's going to feel like such a nice release. And then once they had finished the book, you know, it went to print and the editor asked him, like, how do you feel? It's like, I feel so much worse now <laughs> because I just had to relive all of that. So it's always interesting um, because when those, you know, when those feelings and those thoughts kind of bubble up and you put them out there and then afterwards you're like, wow, that's a lot. Um, you know, it's always interesting to hear whether or not like it felt like it was uh, you know, personally beneficial with reckoning with those thoughts and those those feelings to to get it out there. I think for the most part, I'm I've really benefit a lot in my life from from metaphor. I think everybody does, and that's why you know you get into some like Joseph Campbell type stuff and like mm-hmm. archetypes and heroes journeys. We all like to make analogies and and relate to things. And uh, with music, especially, I would say with I mean, I could make examples from the first record too, but making a story around a container for feelings um, and then sort of like role playing in the container that you've made can be very therapeutic. Mm. Uh, Some days maybe it didn't feel good. Some days it feels good, but all in all, it's like less binary than that. I think I really appreciate um, finding devices or like metaphors uh to get through a certain mood or to to get through a certain pattern in my life you know and come up with like i don't know the only thing that's coming to mind is um this like calligraphy that uh the 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 buddhist who made plum village he just it's like clouds never die easy you know you think fear of death or something you say clouds never die done you know it's like you're not fixing the problem but you have a device um to sort of zoom you out and so i think songwriting for me is like finding those devices that work for myself and then making them publicly available to other people Uh, you know if it works or not but you know i benefit from that from from movies or or songs and i think that's part of why we like why we like interacting with other people's made objects is because we can extrapolate and make a yeah. connection in our own life and our own emotional landscape. So for me, it's like finding the emotional landscape and then throwing it out for other people. And I'm like, maybe this will help you. Maybe this will help you see, connect with the feeling you didn't know you were having, you know, or something like that. Yeah, that makes that's a lot awesome. of sense. I think that's the one common thread between all great art, you know, whatever medium it might be, it, you know, kind of, uh, you know, challenges you in in a way that you're not able to do without that assistance from that you know from that art. So, um, you know, your music I think certainly does that. I know for us, and I think for a lot of people as well. So it's really, uh, you know, really really grateful for that. Oh, I'm just so grateful that it has some sort of audience and people that really enjoy it as much as I enjoyed making it. Yeah. So the second album, you you did send it over, and we got a, a little sneak peek at it. 
and um, and it, like we said, we love it. I really like it. I think. I mean, I, I think it's pretty obvious, but I'm assuming you really like Orville Peck, right? I I like Orville Peck. I'm not like a huge Orville Peck fan. Okay, because I, I mean, I hear a lot. Of, I hear a lot of that. A lot of I, I hear like I mean a lot of Courtney Barnett and Kurt Vile and your style, and then I mean even Lana Del Rey too. I think you. I mean your. I think your vocals are awesome. And like I like what you do with the guitar a lot too. But um, is this album kind of a sequel, or does it have a lot of connections to the first one? Or and how much influence did the first album have on this? Because now it's you know three years later, and a lot has gone down. Is it is it kind of a sequel, or is it working off of some stuff, or is this um, you know because it feels it feels like a like we were saying it feels like another small town along the road, and you know we hit the, the first one, I guess you know wasn't big enough so we went to the, we're at this new one or something <laughs> like it turned out to not be or something um so is there a connection between these two or is it kind of i mean standalone you saying that it feels like towns along the road gave me a little chill on my on the back of yeah. my neck i can't think of a bigger compliment yeah. i i really want to create you know soundscapes that feel like you could like live in it or walk around in it and that's exactly what you did yeah strong sense of place so that feels good to know that it it's coming across that way. Um, yeah, I think for me with this town, I was really leaning into this like songstress. It's like hyper, for me, it was hyper feminine vocal stylings. Cause I can, I can do like a pretty deep Orville Peck type thing if I want to, or I can sing like a mezzo soprano. So I felt like this town was this playground for me to really, it was almost like drag. I guess yeah, like it June, was really high. It was like June Swin was like a drag persona, you mm. know, like this heartbroken country mm. lady, even though the music's like straight up alternative. It's not like it's country music for me mentally. That's where I was. And sense. so I would, I definitely with this record uh, was feeling more influenced by like, instead of like a country songstress and these are just devices, you know, it's not like absolutely. Yeah. But, um, my sort of mental device was more inspired by like Kurt Vile and Bruce Springsteen where, you know, it's definitely like a more masculine expression for me. Um, and a lot of the record ended up being about, I have OCD. Um, and so in like November of 2021, right after this town came out, um, I had sort of like, this sense of dread or feeling like I was in a dream lasted for about a month. I think it was maybe like postpartum for the record for this town. Yeah. Cause that had been my life, you know, right. Exactly. Years. Or, I'm sorry. This is the wrong year. 2019. Okay. 2019 before COVID. Sorry. Don't yep. remember time. Um, <laughs> but you know, me and my new therapist that I called after finishing the first record, she was like, just go into the music, you know, just go into the music. And that was really beneficial. And um, I was living in a two bedroom apartment with my roommate and then both of our partners moved in. So it's four people in a two bedroom. And I ended up carving out this space in the garage and I put up like string lights. And if I opened the, the door, I could watch the sunset. And so I was in the midst of like this pretty aggressive, like derealization, depersonalization, sort of OCD episode and I would just go down there and you know play music and write songs and 
as I was watching the sun kind of move around in the sky. And I think I had really felt like with the first record, it really helped me understand my mom more like these things that came out of me and the way that I had approached my relationships. Um, I just saw these like dynamics come across pretty clearly and in the music. And then I think with a house with windows open, the new record, it helped me really understand my dad. And it really did feel in a spiritual way, like this masculine thread um, that I was kind of seeing where it was. I, I've been describing it as like a 10 song allegory about control. Mm -hmm. Um, That's awesome. A lot of the songs were devices that I was using to just get through to wake up the next day. Cause I felt like such a raw nerve and, you know, like rearview mirror is like in the morning, I could be better. I could be better. I really love, um, I do believe I'm going down by Kurt Vile. I feel like that was probably one of the only songs, um, um, or pretty pimpin was like, a, a, yep. I listened to that every day on repeat when I was going through that, when I was like, so important not feeling real or feeling like I was dreaming. And I felt like very explicitly, he was like, I wake up, I see someone in the mirror. I don't know who they are, but you know, oh, silly me. That's just that's one me. of Ethan's favorite. I'm gonna comb hair, you yeah. know. And I was like, I re- really respected and admired that it was pretty explicit that he was not having a totally sane time. And mm-hmm. so yep. that's how I that's how I felt, and that's what I wanted to give people as well. So mm-hmm. in a way, it's connected to this town. I feel like this town was like one suitcase of stuff I wanted to explore, and then this is like another suitcase of stuff that I unpacked um, and they're from the same place, but they're just kind of like articulated differently. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, so with this other suitcase, one of the, uh, the articles in there is water baby, which by the time this podcast will have come out, water baby is now out as a single. So uh, uh, preemptive now preemptive, congratulations for getting that out. And um this one, it's I, I love it. It's sonically, it sounds it sounds different than the rest of the record. It's it's bluesy. It's got a little bite to it, and it's also spooky in like the perfect way. Um, and I know it's got when, the walk. When, yeah, and it's when got you the announced base walk, it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when you announced it on your Instagram, the uh, uh, the, the show that you'll be playing, uh, and then the the single release, you know, you had said that for a while you had only sang it for yourself and you were a little bit apprehensive, but then as soon as you started playing it, I think throughout 2021, everybody was asking you about that. So, um, what is, um, what was the process behind that? Cause it does sound different. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a different tune than I think certainly anything from this town or anything from the rest of the record. Yeah. That one was one of the ones I wrote in the garage that I mentioned. So mm-hmm. string lights, um, just really just exploring, and I was feeling, I think, really, um, it's been hard, like, politically to stay. You know, I was radicalized um, at a young age. I started working in restaurants when I was 16. And I remember one of the books I mentioned in the song, Nickel and Dimed, my coworker lent to me. Um, and I was listening to AJJ at the time, like that record that they put out that has the body song on it. They put it out during COVID. I don't know if you guys are oh, AJJ. Yeah. yeah, I'm not, yeah. <laughs> AJJ or AJ, AJR? AJJ? AJJ. They, well, they used to be, I think, Andrew Jackson, Jihad, and they changed it to AJJ. Uh-huh. It's like folk punk. Okay. Okay. Um, but I just wanted to put 
I've, I was feeling so exhausted. Mm-hmm. I think like, it's funny cause that song is driving and pulsing, um, and energetic, but it's also like energetically sad or <laughs> energetically mm-hmm. kind of like mad at the world. I think it definitely, um, signifies sort of like a turning point in the record where you're done getting through maybe like belly button more belly button gazing and then you're like all right how can i be of service to like Mm -hmm. the whole um how can i be of service to the whole when everything feels so fucking broken Mm -hmm. and it definitely Um, to me it, it sounds like it's kind of like a aftermath report of everything that's happened the last few years and you know we've been acquaintances since basically pre-pandemic and pre-summer of 2020 and obviously everything that's happened since then. Um, and, you know, just listening to the lyrics, I mean, there's a lot of that kind of um, exhaustion that I can feel in that. Um, and, you know, one of the lyrics that, that got me or that I noticed uh, in particular was, you know, nothing trickles down except pain, um, you know, and I definitely um, kind of, I think anybody who's been conscious um, over the last few years, they listen to this song and, you know, there's a lot of that shared experience and shared struggle and, you know, teetering on exhaustion that I think comes out in this song. So, uh, and especially even just kind of, you know, following you on social media for the last few years, I think you're, um, you know, you share, uh, you know, you share your thoughts and, you know, we can kind of, you know, see, and it makes sense that this would come from that time. Yeah. I mean, I'm glad you, you, like that lyric i mean that's like just a big fuck you to reagan that can resound Mm -hmm. till the end of time but i mean i'm like i'm like i don't really use identify with the label but i think about buddhism a lot i think Mm -hmm. it's hard to grow up super religious and then um not think about principles in general or like where you go after you die and i think about buddhism i'm like a big i you know i do yoga i like meditate and so a lot of this stuff is like, we're here to suffer, I guess. Suffering's like part of, you can't escape suffering. And so it's all around us all the time. And it's like, for me, I kind of, I mean, I kind of joke that like my songwriting is like, kind of like Buddhist punk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because it's like, you have to be aware of what's going on and try to help. And then ultimately it's like, it is like a drop in a big body of water and that doesn't mean you don't try it's like this principle in yoga of like maximum effort with no detachment to outcome and so you always have to give maximum effort which i think is also like he says that in deadpool um but yeah then no attachment to outcome or like understanding that everything might be futile or it doesn't mean anything or it's not going to help there's like another line in the song of like okay if everything is broken and like what the fuck am i doing just writing songs Mm -hmm. i felt like that for a long time i was like if the zombie apocalypse comes i need to know how to do a tourniquet i'm not gonna be like oh would you like to hear a little ditty i wrote about what we're going through yeah (laughs) stupid but i've come around you know to seeing that this is like an important I mean, fuck if it's important is what I know how to do. So right, exactly. And, and I, I think there, there's value in that. But it's definitely, I think that's probably one of the more common sentiments that I think all of us have is, you know, in the wake of all of these big, big systemic problems and universal issues, it's like, it can be discouraging. So, well, shit, like, what can, what can I do with, like, the limited skill set that I have or the limited knowledge that I have or the limited network that I have? 
Um, and you know, yeah, what you, what you just said, it's like, in spite of all of that, it's like, we still have the ability and we still should, you know, work hard and, and do the things that we can do. And, you know, within our immediate part of the big ocean, you know, to be able to help out and, you know, do our part. When I still think like how we treat each other is important, no matter what, you know, is going on with the universe or all the dimensions and stuff. And I think that song ends on that note too. It's like, at the end of all of this, it'll be you and me. And I do genuinely feel like that. It's a good one. I think everybody out there is going to really enjoy that one. Along with the rest of the album when it does, when it does come out. Um, I was going to ask, so yeah, as this is your second, second album and you are independently doing a lot of this stuff and, and working through it. Um, you know, what are your, what are your, I like asking artists this cause I, I do something that I'm kind of chasing a dream, but like, what is, what is kind of the, the dream behind, you know, these projects and, and creating and, and I feel like, well, yeah, just, I'll leave it up to that. Like, is it like, where do you see it all going and stuff? Like, does it, do you have anything in mind or is it more about the process in a lot of ways too? My dream is to have a robust body of work. That's really honest and like critically, you know, as good as I can make it. I'm, I, after I got the masters for the new record, I listened to this town and I see so much improvements. Um, I learned so much in the, in the recording and post-production process, which I like helmed. I learned so much. There's things I want to do differently or like tweak for the next one. Um, so genuinely, I just want to make stuff that's to my taste level and is what I wanted to make. I mean, it is crazy. Any sort of art, any sort of, probably beyond art. It's so hard for me to talk about just music without bringing up like film or, yeah. or like well, it's all art. art. To me, mm. it's like, yeah, all kind of analogous to each other. But when you have a little dream or like a little daydream or a little sound or a something, like it lives in this realm of ideas. And then as a artist, you are pulling it into like the realm of the tangible. And I, th it's when you're younger, when you're first starting out, like when I was 20 writing uh, blue by you was the one I, I wrote the mm -hmm. first version of back then, you know, I could hear it. I could hear it in like my mind's, my mind's ear, <laughs> uh, but I didn't have the skill set to like pull it into this realm. And so when I was in the studio for a house with windows open, my band and I practiced so we could do simultaneous recording at 64 sound. We were in there for three days. We did 10 songs in three days. Wow. And, um, you know, everything was like getting laid down, getting tracked. And I just remember feeling like this is how I heard it. And like, I have more of the skills now to make it even more like I hear it in my mind. So that's so satisfying. And I don't have a ton of expectations beyond just like, doing better than I did before each time, you know, mm -hmm. Van Gogh never sold a painting in his lifetime. It gets real tricky if you start feeling entitled for your work, because whether or not you ever get any sort of consistency or like support from the public, like has nothing to do with whether or not the work is good. So you just have to just have to kind of follow your own compass with that. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like just like having a, the most honest relationship with the work that you can is probably best for the longevity of it and for the fulfillment that you get from it. Yeah, of course. Like, of course I would love to not have, you know, a day job, but 
is that's my whether or not I keep making music isn't contingent on isn't contingent on that. Absolutely. So this this record, uh, a house with windows open, so we can hopefully expect it sometime in 2023. Is that correct? Absolutely. Oh yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, let me see if there's anything else that I have written down. I think we went over most of the most of the questions I have. I mean, I'm really excited. I'm I'm really excited for everybody. I came on before and talking to Chris, and if there's we talked about. It, there's one artist that I know, like I know plays, and like you said, it's not really up to the public if you if you're good if if they view it as good or not. But I think this you're an artist that people need to hear and that not enough people know about, and I have no idea why not like i feel like there we, we see a lot of other artists that get love but uh your work is really good and should be heard so um and this album you know is i don't know there's a lot of potential there i'm really excited and um i think we'll do our best to share it and get people because yeah it's it's complete i think it's well thought out that's one of the things i like about uh your music is i feel it is really well thought out and and you take the proper time to make sure that you know all the boxes are checked or all, you know, you, you look, you look through the house and you've checked every room. Like it's, it's very uh, thorough and that's why it's good. Okay. I'm going to cry. The full gamut of emotions here on oh. that podcast. And, and I would say as well as just as a fan of your work, it is really, it's really interesting and kind of informational for my appreciation for the work, just to like have a conversation with you and, and hear a lot behind the process so selfishly for me i I really appreciate uh you know being able to have this conversation um you know as i said i i think you know that this town was integral for uh the closing and the reckoning with you know something that i went through in my life so i'm very appreciative for that and i think you know ethan and i for you know being able to have this silly platform that we have you know it's really uh, we it's fulfilling for us when we can kind of share things that we believe in. So we're really happy that, you know, you're able to come on and, uh, you know, share some of yourself, uh, you know, here on, on, on this show throughout this uh, conversation that we've had. Thanks, dude. I mean, it means so much to me to, to come on. And obviously these, these records are a labor of love and mm-hmm. um, I am like totally independent at this time. So having developed these relationships, like, you and I have, have been like online friends for some time, Chris, um, you know, but, but having a network of support is just helps so much, you know, there's so much, um, like we were talking about this whole conversation, we all love music so much. And so Mm -hmm. it's just fun to contribute something that we can sort of dissect together. It's like, would rather be doing nothing else. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I I think maybe, you know, Grunge Bible might have a record label at some point. Maybe we can <laughs> we'll, we'll make sure you're the first person that we sign. Let's you could be go. the we <laughs> We've been throwing the idea around for so much. I just have no idea how uh, to be a record label, but we could do it, Chris. <laughs> Absolutely. That's yeah, awesome. <laughs> I know. It'd be fun. Yeah, um, that is great. So, Ethan, any anything else? Julie, anything else? Anything that you need to, yeah, you want to get out there and say or, or support, go for it. Or ask us a question. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I have any questions besides just saying thanks again for 
for having me and 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 I know you guys hosted me for a little live show during COVID too. So yeah, I wanted to talk about that. We need to talk about that. That was that was one of uh, that was a fun time. At least the the shows were at least that like specific every, project. Yeah, everything that, else wasn't very. Yeah, fun. maybe not everything else, but <laughs> no. but you gave us. Uh, it was we. I remember when we had the idea. I was like, we. I was like, we need to get. You know, we need to get a set from Julie and Chris Lee, absolutely. And we were so happy when you you did a really good job. I mean, every, everybody did. A, everybody sent in some really good videos, but yours was not, of course, thought out and, and delivered really well. So that, that was a that was great. We can re, we'll definitely need to repost that. I was just looking at it earlier today, so maybe we'll bring that back from the archives. I and, think uh, well, I played Water Baby. I think you did. Sure. I'm pretty sure you did. I, I think it was the, might, might have been the last song of the set, and you said that it was something that, new that you were writing on at the time. Did I? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was probably still the demo version. I mean, I brought that to band practice, and I was like, "Listen, I, I literally showed. I played it for my friend recently, and she was like, you are rapping.' <laughs> it's like really hard to define, but I brought it to band practice, and I was like, "We can play. We can try this together." But. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not gonna hurt my feelings if you guys are like, "What the fuck is this?" And everybody liked it. And then at, at shows, people are like, "What's that one? What's that one you played that was kind of like smoky and like bluesy?" Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's been a real sleeper, but not for long. That's awesome. That come to the forefront. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's out out for the whole world. So, uh, Julie, thank you once again so much for you know the last hour that we've been able to chat. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to the day that uh, you know everybody's able to hear the, the the new record. And in the meantime, obviously, Water Baby is out, and I implore everybody to go give that uh, not just one listen, but many listens. And um, you know, you can support uh, Julie uh, by what are the best ways to support you. You know, you could follow my social media. I'm mm-hmm. hoping to be playing in a lot of towns this this next year. That would be as far as like a dream. I just I would love to tour more. So, come to Birmingham. <laughs> yeah, oh, come to Providence. Gladly, <laughs> gladly. I'm it. trying to figure it out how to <laughs> how to t- tour sustainably. But yeah, um, please please come to a show and and please listen to the to the music. Absolutely. Well, uh, Ethan and I. We'll be doing all of those things. And I think after this conversation, a lot of the listeners will be doing that as well. So once again, Julie Lydell, June Swoon, thank you so much. Thank you. So once again, I would love to extend uh, Grunge Bible's sincerest thanks to Julie uh, for that conversation. It was really illuminating and uh, energizing just to be able to talk to somebody who who gets it, you know, um, they they get it. They they have a vision, and they've worked to acquire the skills, uh, you know, to make that vision a reality. And uh, you know, Julie is uh, kind enough to share that reality with all of us. So really, really looking forward to the uh, the new album coming out sometime in twenty twenty three. And in the meantime, we do have Water Baby, which is a really really great track, as we spoke about. So um, that is the homework. Uh, I spoke a couple times about some homework that I had to do. I'm assigning some homework for everybody to check out uh, the music of June Swoon. Uh, Mm -hmm. you will not regret it definitely not yeah that was a great conversation i mean and it's cool because we had you know pre and post role with her that was awesome conversation you know on and off the camera so um you know when you're getting conversations before and after that are also you know fulfilling uh that it was time well spent so thank you again julie um so yeah but now we have the final part of the show where we talk about songs of the week Yes, and we do. 
basically that means that we give you guys recommendations, even though we give you recommendations all the time, but we have compiled a playlist where we are putting songs that you really need to listen to. And um, I think you may know where this, this one is going towards. In accordance with tradition, and even outside of tradition, I mean, this is this is the place to go. Um, she really, may be on the playlist already, right? She, I feel like she has to be. Um, I mean, yeah. this has been going on for so long that it's, sometimes it's difficult for me to remember. But so I hope I don't pick the same song. So I'm sure I've spoken about it before. But you know, Ethan, you showed me, uh, you know, uh, her first record. This town could be big enough for the both of us. Um, probably around the time that uh, that COVID first hit and, you know, everybody's kind of locked down. And it was very important, as I alluded to earlier on in the uh, the conversation. So um, it's one of those things that, yeah, I listen to that, you know, front to back, front to back, front to back, over and over and over again. Um, and then, you know, when you kind of uh, distance yourself from the things that drew you to that, that music at the time, uh, you kind of forget, but like, I can still, like, I listen to this record and I'm like, holy shit, I remember everything that I was feeling. And I remember the way that the room smelled and the way that like the sunlight would reflect off of my, uh, you know, the wall above my couch and my apartment where I was locked down that whole time. So, I mean, that's just a testament to the great art, but, you know, really, really hard for me to pick just one song from this town. But um, for the purpose of the song of the week playlist, I would like to select Transatlantic Accent uh, from the 2019 June Swoon album, This Town. Um, it's just, I think it's a great encapsulation of that record and of the theme and the themes that, uh, she was discussing and presenting on that record and also of her style. Um, and it's just a really, really, really well done song. And, you know, I was lucky enough to hear it at a time where I needed to hear something like that. So, you know, for, for that reason, it'll always be very close to me. And I don't want to brag earlier, but I do have one of the 100 uh, vinyl oh, that yeah. run. So it's my, it's my most important and most favorite record that I own. So uh, that's incredible. I'm really glad that, you know, your appreciation uh, rose to that level where you, you know, you got in there and got a, got a, one of the hundred, which is really cool. Absolutely. Um, that's awesome. So uh, for my song, I am, you know, like we've been doing the last few times, uh, she has given permission to allow us to play the single at the end of the episode. So that means this is the best time when the song of the week, we can actually play it on the show. So you don't even we're have to be, go anywhere else. We're just going to give it right to you. Right. So we have Water Baby on deck and um, I thought it was cool. Um, I'm not sure if this was on the post roll that we were talking, but um, when she did the shutdown shows, for us during COVID, and she came and did a set. She actually played it um, within the set, and that yeah, was one of you know, the three years ago. versions of it. Yeah, yeah, and Long she said that ago. that's always something that she plays live and does at the end. So, um, kind of full circle. I think it's cool that it's coming out as a single. It's out as a single. So, um, you know, without further ado, just enjoy this wonderful song and wonderful composition uh, by Julie of the June Swoon Project. And yeah, let that start your week off, you know, the right way. So without right further on. ado, anything else, Chris? Well, let's get to water, baby. Hell yeah. Rock and roll, guys. See you next week. Will this river cleanse me at last? Too pissed off for the future, too grown for the past. I want to drink something till it's gone. On a dead phone and a horse to ride on. 